NovaSB in Lisbon, I am Philippe Alfayat, and this is the Sustainability and Impact Global Series. From climate change to poverty, hunger, racism, or gender inequality, business are increasingly called to step up and be part of the solution. But kind words and one-off projects alone will not cut it. In this series of eight episodes, we'll do a deep dive into Africa, checking how some enterprises are serving the consumers at the bottom of the pyramid. The tools they use, the challenges they face, how they adapt their pricing, marketing, distribution to commercial reach a growing market of more than 2.5 billion people globally. I'm passionate about unleashing the power of business to solve global challenges. It has been the focus of my work across more than 35 countries in the past decades, either as an adjunct professor, entrepreneur, a consultant, or a policy advisor. And it is with the fuel from that exact passion that we put together this series, which is a collaborative effort with my talented students and great teaching team. You see, in the past two school years, a mix of students from all over the world that attended my course on leading impact enterprises in international development produced podcasts where they applied the course's learning to real enterprises. They did outstanding work, and the best six podcasts will be at the center of this series and its debates. In this episode, we will learn about the journey of Enterprise 264 Education and about the journey of its inspiring founders, how they built schools to tackle the roots of poverty in impoverished communities in Uganda and Nepal. They want to provide every child with a fair chance in life. And to do so, this enterprise builds local partnerships at the bottom of the pyramid. What are the limits, challenges, and opportunities lying ahead? With me today, I have Daniela Afonso, teaching assistant and one of the driving forces of this podcast. Hi, Daniela, how are you? I'm very fine and excited for this episode. Me too. So, for all of our listeners, and bearing in mind that we have a large spectrum from practitioners to students, some of them already studied these topics, others are just curious about what it means to unleash the power of business uh, to solve global challenges. What would be the, the key points that you Right. Yes, um, in this episode, uh, it's interesting to see how the discussion uh, evolves around um, the importance of building a school, of bringing teachers to the school, of aligning the curriculum to the public offering of, of that country. But then uh, in the end, they end up realizing that there, there was missing a variable mm -hmm. um, that otherwise we wouldn't be thinking about, which is actually uh, the incentives for children to come to school. Absolutely. Because there, uh, they are uh, the the families are used to count on children to provide extra, extra money. And so they don't have uh, this cultural awareness of going to schools as, as important as we see it. Exactly. Right? I remember many, many students thinking and asking as many times, ask me, for instance, but uh, you put the capacity building tools, right? You have a school, you have some teachers, but the, what happens? The students are not going to school, uh, but they should take this opportunity. And uh, it's interesting what you're saying, which is it's very important, which is you need to make sure that the incentives are aligned for the kids and their families allow them and push them sometimes to, to, to go 
to go to school and be part of it. I also thought that it was interesting, uh, not only the story of the founders and how they went to Nepal, and I, I think the listeners will like that very much, but also the, the need of this enterprise to, to balance between beneficiaries and donors mm-hmm. and how that they have to be able to cater both, right? That's a, there's a bit of a tension there. Definitely. And also how they actually report to those stakeholders. Because in one part of the episode, they start to discuss impact evaluation and how the enterprise is just focusing on short-term outputs, like number of students, number of teachers, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. But then they actually propose that they go a step further and they think more long-term in long-term outcomes, such as like, where are these students going exactly. afterwards and, and, and whether do they have any employment perspectives locally or even internationally? That's a very good point. I agree. I agree. But is also, and it also relates to the fact that what is the impact that one enterprise can have in this type of environment? We're talking about, uh, and this podcast and the, the, the courses and much of the work uh, I do, for instance, relates to unleashing the power of business. I've mentioned that a number of times. In thin markets, in developing countries, or low and middle income countries. But one of the issues that we have to look at, and we do that in class, is some problems, some challenges, some environments, it's not possible to do a business model because there's a scarcity of by a number of different reasons that I'm not going to talk here today. But these podcasts actually focus on a specific segment and a specific environment where we have to ask, can we have a business model here? Maybe not. Maybe these beneficiaries, this environment is too demanding and therefore they have to run based on grants. And it is not possible to, to ask for the, um, the parents to pay even a little bit. Mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. not what you call a business mm-hmm, a yes. business model. So the focus has to be in, on impact. But this is also an important thing for, I think, for the students, practitioners, to have all, all this in mind, which mm-hmm. is the spectrum. There's a spectrum from some work, for instance, humanitarian work, work like the ones that we, we will be listening to in a while the, that is carried out by this social enterprise has to be driven by donor funding. Definitely. And yeah. others can be done just by business. And there's a number of uh, shades of uh, in, in the middle, which is called the hybrid uh, models. And I think this podcast focuses on this part of the spectrum. And I think that's important also to bring to the table. So let me just acknowledge and uh, the students <laughs> that did uh, the very talented students that put together this great uh, podcast, Sarah Erhard, Lucy Karen Gavin, Julian Herman, Mikey Henkel, Moritz Benedict Witt. And I want to congratulate all of them for the work they put together. Apologize if I mispronounce your names and uh, invite you all to listen to the, to the postcard they prepared for us. A wonderful good day and a warm welcome to a new episode of Real Talk. Today's topic will be about how to lead social enterprises as nowadays the social sector may currently have so much potential as never before. A new generation of purpose-driven professionals is streaming into the sector equipped with new business models and new tools to achieve social changes. Today, we want to try to understand how the true promise of social sector work can be reached. Thus, we will use the NGO 264 Education as an example and analyze its social impact together with our today's expert, Sarah. 
Sarah. Do you maybe want to introduce yourself, Sarah? Yes, thanks. Um, thanks a lot for having me. Um, so shortly on me, I'm an independent consultant for social enterprises and their impact evaluation. And in my daily business, I travel a lot and I talk to a variety of startups, NGOs, but also some big players who do social business. And um, my focus over the year was working especially with uh, small social enterprises who operate in rural areas around Africa. And most of them concentrate on the lowest stage of the hierarchy of needs uh, pyramid of Maslow, you probably know it. And um, their business model is based on nutrition, water access, health issues and education mostly. Welcome, Sarah. So the social enterprise we want to talk about today is 264 Education. The CEO and founder Christoph was really interested in talking to us and getting some outside input to check if they are still on the right way or if they maybe suffer from organizational blindness. We have a recorded session with him and he will tell us himself of how this project came to life. After my bachelor degree in Mannheim, I signed a full-time contract with a consultancy, Boston Consulting Group. I told them before signing away my life to them, I would want to travel for six months. Uh, and within these six months, I traveled to Nepal and I lived in a small Hinduism mountain village in the Himalaya mountains of, of Nepal, where I was teaching at a rural school. And there was the first time where I personally got in touch with the bottom of the period, uh, as you say. Uh, and I got to experience firsthand what it means for these children to attend a school versus um, helping the parents earning income for the family. Um, and right on the spot, my the, the guy that I was staying with or the family that I was staying with, with was asking me whether I would help them build a school for a neighboring village about two hours from, from where I was staying because those children did not have a school yet. And as emotionally evolved I was uh, at the time, I committed at the spot, not being fully aware of what uh, this project would mean or how this project would shape my, my life going forward. Um, and then I basically traveled home after living with them for four months, uh, contacted a lot of my friends, did a fundraising campaign, and that was basically the, the first step in founding the organization 264 Education. Uh, after my return, six months after my return, we, we built the school in Nepal. Oh, interesting. And nice to hear his voice. Um, so I recognize that what he's saying um, on his business model is based on the framework of the three A's, which is quite interesting. He mentioned indirectly excess affordability and availability. What I mean by it is, for example, that they built their schools in rural areas where the bottom of the pyramid, so their target group, has access to it. Um, using the three A's is, first of all, a good point to start a business model. Hmm. Thank you for your input, Sarah. 264 Education is building schools to tackle the source of poverty. So their mission is to provide every child with a fair chance in life, no matter where it was born. To get to the bottom of the pyramid, as he said, they build on partnerships with local visionaries who have full operational decision capacity and lead the community emp uh, empowerment. May I introduce you for a second? Because I think this really sounds like a vision and mission statement. Um, but today you would rather include an impact statement. So leaders of nonprofits, routinely develop um, not just a mission statement and a vision statement anymore, but also include a statement that outlines the organization's um, intended impact. And of course, also its theory of change. So um, along with the traditional profit tools like mission and vision, uh, from a strategic plan to impact metrics, these statements have become widely recognized signs of a well-run non-profit organization. So they should actually include it to um, raise, raise more um, investors. And usually an impact statement is designed by the period, a certain number of beneficiaries, allocation, and the particular issue you're facing. So in their case, they should talk about what they aim of beneficiaries until a certain time is. So for example, 10,000 uh, students a year in a certain area, um, Mozambique, for example, and um, their um, 
particular issue so that they want to fight unemployment but also that they by chance fight a little hunger because the students are eating at school and also some kind of discrimination issues because they um, bring especially young girls out of their um, out of their social um, surroundings and that might help but sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you so please move on with the business model no thank you that was really interesting actually so so far 264 education built two schools each in Nepal and Uganda they built 10 school rooms are educating about 300 children and providing a monthly income to 30 local teachers and regarding their business model 264 education is 100% based on donations from individuals and companies and this money is directly invested in Nepal and Uganda in general they could raise 200,000 euros and the donors expect from the NGO high reporting and transparency how their money is spent whereas they don't have decision capacity how their money will be spent so it is very important to 264 to be as transparent as possible and maximize every euro spent they try to build a more sustainable business model by increasing the percentage of companies as donors and trying to get more yearly donations instead of project-based ones Also, they try to achieve an impact in the areas on site by ensuring non-violent teaching in areas where it is still common to hurt children in school if they make mistakes, for example. Hmm, very interesting. I also really like the point of the non-violent teaching because that's a real big point I face in many projects that I consult right now. Um, but I have some questions. So the first one would be, how are the teachers being paid? Funnily, I had the same question to the founder and what he said, you can hear now. It is not the easiest thing to build or to run a school in a very poor community where almost none of the people living there have received education, which means you're always bringing in foreigners from, from a different community. And as you might be aware in a country as Uganda, which is very spread amongst various tribes, if there's someone coming in from a different tribe, he or she is seen or considered as, as a foreigner. However, we really want to provide the children with quality education, which means we have to bring in people from, from, from other tribes uh, who are teachers. So again, here it is our... Uh, local visionaries it's a lo local visionary who is bringing in the teachers or who has to find the teachers um, and ideally he or she already has a network um, of teachers that he can contact or he or she um, and then secondly the organization 264 education is paying their paying their salary so we are paying their salary from the donations that we're receiving which has been very important throughout uh, the pandemic because what we have seen is that schools in other communities either had to close or obviously didn't pay their teachers because the, the schools were closed in lockdown however our schools we continuously paid our teachers as we know in Germany the, the salary is being paid uh, going forward as well so that's why we obviously paid our teachers as well which made our school even more attractive compared to peers so what we see currently is that a lot of teachers would love to work at, at one of our schools because we are very secure um, empl employees uh, employers of the same and another question is what is given from the local government so is the school in line with the government or do they act completely independent here I also have a quote of the founder so let's listen to him Yes, it is, uh, it is in line. Uh, we have to be, all of our schools have to be registered at the government. Um, so it is in line. Most, uh, all of the schools that we are currently running have a strict learning path. Um, so similar to Germany, the uh, schools or the teachers have to teach certain amounts. So the curriculum is quite fixed that we get from Uganda and Nepal. However, what we have seen is that our teachers run through this program way faster than an entire school year. So you could expect that uh, maybe, let's assume there are 12 months in a, in a school year and our teachers 
only need eight or nine months for, for the curriculum that is given by the government. And then we're adding on additional uh, additional programs or additional um, subjects, so to say. But that is that is mostly driven by the, by the local visionaries, yes. Uh, thanks a lot. That was really helpful to understand the business a little better and to get some insights. So following the delivery and payment metrics, we can see that the industry structure they operate in is a triangle, meaning they have donors, the NGO itself, and the end consumer, so the student as a stakeholder. The issue is um, that the end consumer is not the donor while we speak of a triangle formation. And this business model, as you probably already see, is quite difficult because you have to concentrate on the satisfaction of two parties at the same time, which is quite tough for such a small enterprise. And because the donor pays but doesn't get the incentive, meaning beneficiaries are unequal to payers. Ah, okay. Interesting framework. So until now, the NGO relies heavily on organic growth without marketing spending and only relying on word of mouth. They plan to build other schools in other countries, like for example, Afghanistan, and they try to build a sustainable business model from bottom up, but face challenges by that. And that is actually a good point to dive into our real talk now. So currently they have a pull strategy. Would you agree and say that this is a good long-term approach? Um, yes, I agree. They definitely follow a pull strategy and this is overall a very good approach for the future because um, in a pull strategy, you focus on both the business and the economic growth and the development of the country, empowering people by embracing them to develop their strategy by themselves. So building up the basis for the market and um, to, to further evaluate their pull strategy and if they do it good, um, I would be interested in some more insights. So I was wondering if, if the students are resilient to learn. Um, because if they if they are, this is a quite important point to, to start a pull strategy because if they're not, they obviously cannot raise their markets. And secondly, I would like to know if or how the NGO actually convinces the parents that their kids are allowed to go to school. I also have a quote of the founder here where he answers exactly these two questions. It varies from country to country and community to community. But in general, yes, parents. So we work when in, in the poorest countries of, of this uh, earth and in those countries we try to go to rural areas and in the country they're even the poorest which means that the parents usually need the children either to work to provide income for the family or to work in in the household so we do have various strategic techniques on how to lure the children into school one being offering free food so for a parent in uganda for example if the parent knows that my child gets free warm meal a day then she or they are more are letting the children Go to school that's that's one thing the second one is that we are that since we are working with with the local partners they are they have a close relationship with the elders and the elders have a lot to say in these communities if the elders tell the parents to send their children to school then they are very likely to to comply to this as well yes you may recognize that he also mentioned the first step of the hierarchy of needs by luring children with a warm meal in the school with the permission by their parents so that means that the ngo 264 also affects the first step of the hierarchy of needs but coming back to the specific field of education what is the social value created in How is it measured in your opinion, Sarah? Mm, as I got to know the enterprise before, I would say that they basically have um, matrices with which they could measure social value. But in total, it's very difficult because, I mean, it's not you're not able to measure social value because you cannot measure how good you're doing to people. It's basically just a feeling. But some, some enterprises use, for example, the SDGAs from the UN to measure something like that. But in this case, um, I wouldn't do it because it's rather for big companies. I would rather concentrate on matrices. And for this enterprise or for their business model, I would choose the count of schools, classrooms, and for example, teacher staff. Ah, that's exactly what the founder told me. 
oh, okay, that, that's nice that I'm in line with the founder. <laughs> but I would also include a fourth or even a fifth point to add a long-term focus to, to the measurement because later they will be done with the school. So you should also measure on their future. So for example, you could ask what do, job do they get? Where do they move? Um, the count of graduations, for example. Hmm. Um, coming back to the name of the NGO. So it's called 264, which stands for 264 million children that don't go to school worldwide. What do you think? Is there an aimable goal at all? And is 264 scalable? Yeah, first of all, I have to say that I really like the name. It's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. And um, for the scalability, it's really difficult to say if a business might be considered to be scalable in the future because we can only predict the future and minimize the risk. But um, we can try to use some frameworks to try to get closer to the answer of the question. So there's something called um, social capitalism chasm. It means that there's a gap between uh, that yawns right between the business and the budget uh, they have accessible in the business. So if the gap is too big, it cannot be scalable. I mean, that's quite clear, I think, because there's not enough money available to scale up the business. It's a common sense that you need 500,000 to start a scalable business in the first place. And in the last place, you would even need two to five million to scale up such a project. And as I remember it right, they have 200,000 raised, so that isn't yes. enough. Yeah, therefore they can say that it will be very difficult to scale up this business by its current structure. They must be taken a different step to be able to get more monetary resources to invest. And furthermore, you have also you have to think also about the scalability by available human being. It's not only about money. Um, as you said, there are 264 million children without schools, so the target group definitely exists, but they are spread all over the globe and the NGO firstly has to get access to these groups, to the rural areas, and to furthermore find teachers and build a school and all of that stuff. So it's very difficult and based on a more sustainable financial situation. So for the future, what business model would you choose to further scale up? So in the industry, you know, two common ways to do that. One is the open source strategy and another is the replication strategy. A nonprofit that uses an open source um, for, for the end game invests in um, research and development in order to develop and refine a new idea or intervention. And it then works to spread an idea or intervention basically by serving as a knowledge hub um, from which other organizations can draw resources, of course. And in some case, cases, a nonprofit that pursues an open source model will also engage in advocacy efforts. In this case, I would definitely re recommend an open source because it might be very interesting to act as a, uh, as a knowledge hub and to, to share this um, for scalability means being um, pathologically collaborative, but not suicidally collaborative. Thank you very, very much for sharing your knowledge, Sarah. To conclude our today's podcast, we can state that 264 is a great NGO with a good cause, but they could face problems with their scalability. They try very hard to create social value, but it's questionable if they succeed. As most of nonprofits, also the 264 education NGO struggles to reach the full scale stage. Because of that, leaders of these non-profit organizations should shift their focus from the scale of their organization to the impact that their organization can help to achieve. As we are done with today's podcast, I want to ask you, Sarah, the same question I ask all of my guests in the end. If you could write a sentence to a wall in a big city, what would that sentence be? That's a nice question. I would say that they're... The sentence would be, um, the greatest good you can do for another is not just to share your riches, but to reveal to him his own. And this quote really touches me because it represents the pool strategy and it shows the real impact one can do to provide a better living for everyone. That's beautiful. So thank you very much again, Sarah, and hear you guys next week when it's time again for Real Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sustainability and Impact Global series. Please follow this podcast on Spotify and on Nova's SBE platform, Road to Play, and be part of this community working to unleash the power of business to solve global challenges one day at a time.